Chapter 7 of Five Mice in a Mousetrap by the Man in the Moon This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are part of the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Marcus Locke Five Mice in a Mousetrap by the Man in the Moon by Laura E. Richards Chapter 7 A Rainy Day and What Came of It "'Well, I suppose that is true,' said Bright Eyes, who had been singing this little song as she stood by the dining-room window after breakfast, watching the rain. "'I suppose it must rain sometime, but I do wish it would always rain at night, Uncle Jacket. Just think how nice it would be.' "'Very nice for you,' replied Uncle Jack. "'But how about the owls and bats and watchmen and cats, who have to be out all night? They might not fancy it quite so much.' They might not like it, he continued, any more than I like to have a great boy and girl stand and look out of the window when my fire is hungry. Look at the poor thing, almost starved for want of food. Hi, Bright Eyes, cried Nibble. Which will get to the wood box first? That was certainly a question, and it was also a question whose neck would be broken first, to judge from the way in which they rushed out of the room. But they came back safely, strange to say. Nibble in advance, with a huge stick of yellow birch, nearly as large as himself, while Bright Eyes followed closely with another. Ah, said Uncle Jack, rubbing his hands, now we shall see a fire, for it is cold this morning, if it is the end of May. There, he continued, placing the logs carefully and heaping the coals over them. So my fire spirit has his breakfast, as well as the rest of us. He is an excellent fellow and should be well treated. Did you ever hear of the old woman who poked her fire spirit till he ran away and left her? No, cried the two mice. Please tell us about her, uncle. She was a very cross old woman, said Uncle Jack. She lived all alone, for she was so cross that nobody could live with her. She scolded her children till they went away, and she scolded her bird till it flew away, and she scolded her cat till it ran away. So there she lived, all alone, with only the fire spirit to keep her company. Now her fire spirit was very good-natured, and had borne very patiently with his mistress's ill temper. One day, however, she came in looking and feeling particularly savage. She sat down before the fire and took up the poker. Ah, she said, what a miserable attempt at a fire. Why don't you burn, you stupid, sulky thing? And she gave it a vicious poke. How can I burn, said the fire, when you don't give me anything to burn with? Nobody can make a good blaze with only two sticks, and these two are as cross as you are, which is saying a great deal. You shall burn, cried the old hag, whether you want to or not. And she began to poke and poke most unmercifully. Take care, said the fire spirit. I can't stand much more of this. I am growing black in the face. I'll teach you to answer me, cried the woman, poking away harder than ever. But suddenly she gave a shriek and dropped the poker. A puff of smoke came out of the fireplace. A shower of cinders and sparks fell all over her, filling her eyes, nose, and mouth. A rushing sound, like a gust of wind, followed, and the house door was shut with a violent bang. Then all was silent. And when the old hag had wiped the cinders out of her eyes, she saw only a black, cold hearth with two cross sticks lying on it, and scowling at each other. The fire spirit was gone, and what was more, he never came back.
and the old woman had nothing to keep her warm except her own temper. And now, chickens, said Uncle Jack, run away and study your lessons, for this is our working time, you know, and holidays are over. Oh dear, said Bright Eyes, I wish we might have one more story, Uncle Jack. No, no, said Uncle Jack, there will be plenty of time for stories today, for you will not be able to go out of doors. Trot now, for I have work to do as well as you. Nibble and Bright Eyes left the room slowly and made their way to the schoolroom. I say, Bright Eyes, said Nibble, suppose we play we are somebody else, and then perhaps we shall like studying better. What do you mean, Nibble? asked Bright Eyes. Why, said Nibble, I have a geography lesson to study, and you know I detest geography. But if I were to play I was Christopher Columbus, I should have to play I liked it, because he must have liked geography very much indeed, you know. So then it might be easier, don't you think so? Yes, said Bright Eyes doubtfully. It would be easier for geography, certainly. But I have my arithmetic to study, and nobody could ever have liked arithmetic, Nibble. You might be Mr. Colburn, suggested Nibble. I suppose he must have liked it, or he would not have written so much about it. Well, I will try, said Bright Eyes, though I don't think Mr. Colburn is half as nice as Christopher Columbus. But if he had been very nice, he would not have written arithmetic books, so it can't be helped, I suppose. By this time they had reached the schoolroom, and Nibble, sitting down by the big table and opening his atlas, began in a loud voice, O King of Spain, let me inform your majesty that Alabama is bounded on the north by Tennessee, on the east by Georgia, on the... But Nibble, I mean Christopher, interrupted Mr. Colburn in a piteous tone. How can I do anything if you study out loud? Oh, dear, said the great discoverer rather impatiently. Well, go ahead, Mr. Colburn, and write your book while I go on a new voyage of discovery. Let us see which will finish first. And now, seeing that the mice were settling down to their books in good earnest, I turned my attention to the nursery, where I rightly judged that I should find the three younger mice. Well, to be sure, what fine sport they were having, those three little things. They had evidently been washing the doll's clothes, for small clotheslines of string were all about the room, and Downy's pinafore looked as if it had been in the tub. But now the wash was all hung out, and the mice were playing wind, as they called it, that is to say, they were running to and fro, puffing out their little fat cheeks, and blowing in the clothes with might and main, in the hope of making them dry sooner. I am the north wind, said Puff. Whoop, whoop. I am the south wind, cried Fluff. And I'm some kind of wind, didn't I? Asked Downy, who was blowing as hard as any of them. Yes, dear, you are the west wind. Whoop, 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 said Puff as she pranced about. Now, presently, the door opened, and Mrs. Posset came in with her basket of stockings to mend. One of the clotheslines was directly in her way, and the good woman stumbled over it and knocked her head against the mantelpiece and dropped all the stockings. This she did not like, as you may imagine. Dear me, children, she cried, it's as much as my life is worth to enter this nursery with all your crinkum crackums. My stars! Will you look at the strings now, all over the room, fit to break a body's neck? Whatever are you doing now, Miss Puff? We washed the doll's clothes, Posse dear, said Puff, 
because they were dirty, and you said this morning dirt was a sin. So we couldn't have our children dirty and sinful too, you know, Posse, cried Fluff earnestly. And now we are playing wind and drying the clothes beautifully. Well, dears, said Mrs. Posset resignedly, as she sat down with her mending, tis a very nice play, no doubt, but if you could play something that would not shake the room quite so much, the stockings would be mended sooner, that's all. Well, Puffy, said Fluff, what shall we play? Oh, let us play five little princesses, said Puff. But there are only three of us, Fluff objected, unless Mrs. Posset will be one, and that would only be four. Would you mind being a princess, Posse? Oh, Miss Fluffy dear, indeed I have not time now, said the good nurse, but you might play that one of the princesses was lame and could not walk. So the three mice began to walk slowly about with their eyes shut, singing as they went. Five little princesses started off to school, following their noses because it was the rule, but one nose turned up and another nose turned down, so all the princesses were lost in the town. Here they all tumbled against each other and pretended to cry bitterly. Then, starting off again, they sang, Poor little princesses cannot find their way, naughty little noses to lead them astray. Poor little princesses, sadly they roam, naughty little noses, pray lead them home. Now is not that a pretty game? Yes, and it is quite new, so you may try it yourselves if you like. Just shut your eyes and bump against all the chairs and tables, singing the song, and you will find yourselves very much amused. At least the twins and Downy enjoyed it extremely, until Fluff, the unlucky, tripped over one of her own clotheslines and fell against the stove, which luckily had no fire in it, hitting her head harder than even a lost princess could possibly care to do. For a few minutes there was sorrow and confusion among the princesses, but the offer of a story from Mrs. Posset soon calmed their royal minds, and they gathered round the good nurse's table with eager faces. Well. And what shall the story be about, missies? she asked. Oh, about the three little girls, said Puff. Fluff nodded her head approvingly, and Downy said, Free ittle dirls, in a satisfied tone. So they listened, and I listened, and my dog listened. And you may listen too, if you like, though it is an old story, and you may have heard it before. Once upon a time, then, said Mrs. Posset, threading her darning needle, and taking up one of Nibble's stockings, which was in such a condition as might have made a darning machine turn pale. There were three little girls, and their names were Orange and Lemon and Hold Your Tongue. And they all lived together in a little red house with a green roof, which stood in the middle of a wood. Now every morning there was work to be done, you see. So on Monday morning, Orange would get up at the break of day, so to speak, and she swept the house, and she made the fire, and she cooked the breakfast. What did they have for breakfast? asked Fluff. Pork chops, said Mrs. Posset, and then she called her sisters, and when they had eaten their breakfast, they all went out and played for the rest of the day. Well, and on Tuesday morning, Lemon got up early, and she swept the house, and she made the fire, and she cooked the breakfast. What did they have that morning? interrupted Puff. Cod's head and shoulder, replied Mrs. Posset, and then she called her sisters, and when they had eaten their breakfast, they all went out and played for the rest of the day. Well, my dears, as I'm telling you, on Wednesday, the third little girl, dear, 
Dear, what was her name now? I seem to forget. Hold your tongue, cried Fluff eagerly. Well, well, said Mrs. Posset, pretending to be very much vexed. To think of your having no better manners than that, Miss Fluff, telling me to hold my tongue indeed. Not another story will you get from me today, I promise you. This was a favorite joke of Mrs. Posset, I found, and the children were never tired of it, though they knew that the little story went no further than hold your tongue. They were still laughing over it when they heard a loud scream from below, followed by a heavy fall and a crash as of broken china. For a moment, they all looked at each other in silence, startled by the shock. Then Mrs. Posset put Downy off her knee and flew downstairs, followed by the three little mice, all eager to know what had happened. Uncle Jack had heard the noise in his study, and Susan had heard it in the kitchen. In fact, the whole household was roused, and all turned their steps toward the schoolroom, where Nibble and Bright Eyes were. Uncle Jack was the first to open the door, and when he looked into the room, he saw, See, I will draw you a picture. This is what he saw. Nibble was lying on the floor, apparently half-stunned, while near him lay the fragments of a china teapot, and all around on the floor were scattered gold coins, large and small, hundreds and hundreds of them. Everyone stood astonished, very naturally, and no one was more astonished than Master Nibble himself. As soon as he recovered his composure a little, he sat up on Uncle Jack's knee and told his story very much in these words. "'It was all my geography lesson, Uncle,' said Nibble. "'I played I was Christopher Columbus so that I should like it better, and I learned it all, every word of it. But I was finished before Mr. Colburn had written his book, so I—' "'Stop, stop, Nibble,' cried Uncle Jack. "'Who is Mr. Colburn, pray? "'And what has he to do with your geography lesson?' "'Why, he is Bright Eyes,' said Nibble. "'To make her like her arithmetic lesson, don't you know?' "'Oh, indeed,' said Uncle Jack. "'Go on, Christopher.' "'So,' continued Nibble, "'I thought I would go on a voyage of discovery, a real voyage, "'and I saw that little trapdoor in the ceiling.' that you said must be an old skylight covered over, and that I forbade you to meddle with, said Uncle Jack quietly. Well, yes, Uncle, I know you did, but if Columbus had minded what other people said, would he ever have found America? Humph, said Uncle Jack, trying to suppress a smile. Well, sir? Well, sir, responded Nibble, so I thought I would sail for that port. I climbed up on some things, I should say he did. There was a heap of tables and chairs, desks and books, sofa pillows and coal scuttles under the open trap door, which was enough to frighten one, and got into it. It was a kind of an attic place, Uncle, all beams and rafters and cobwebs. I crept in ever so far on my hands and knees, and in the farthest corner I found a heap of queer old clothes, all covered with dust, coats and hats, and all sorts of things. I knew they must belong to the queer old man Tomty told us about, who used to live here, and I thought it would be great fun to bring them down and dress up in them. I lifted some of them and heard something rattle underneath. Then I looked and found that old teapot hidden away under a great beam. It was very heavy, and the cover was fastened on with sealing wax, so I was going to bring it down to you, but my foot slipped and... "'And you came down rather faster than you meant to,' said Uncle Jack. "'Dear to goodness, sir,' cried Mrs. Posset, "'who had been picking up the gold pieces "'and had her apron full of them. 
It's my belief that this is neither more nor less than old Jonas Junk's treasure, of which the neighbors talk so much. It certainly is, Mrs. Posset, replied Uncle Jack, and I think we must always call Nibble Christopher Columbus, for he certainly has made a great discovery. End of chapter 7 Recording by Marcus Locke